We're looking at um, Isaiah. <laughs> Cheeky. That just snuck out. Don't do that, guys. Isaiah chapter 6, if you've got your Bibles with you, page 691 in the Pew Bibles um, in front of you. Thinking of pre-warning as well, if it is your first time in church, um, Isaiah and the prophets in general, they, they use quite cosmic, strange language maybe to make a point. So just bear that in mind as you read it. Aaron will come and explain some of those things in a bit. So when you read it, it might sound a bit, a bit crazy, but it's a really cool text that Aaron will expound for us in a minute. So Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each had six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, and the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, for how long, Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away, and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Come and join me. Let's pray for um, Aaron as he brings God's word to us this evening. Yeah, Father, um, echoing the prayers that John said, that we pray blessing upon this man, um, that you will open our eyes. Um, to what is written, and and our ears to hear what you have to say to us, no matter what background or what we bring here tonight, that we will hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Ross. Good evening, everyone. Uh, My name is Aaron, for those of you who don't know me. I'm married to Sarah, uh, my wife, obviously. And uh, we have the privilege of being members here at the church, and we have three children who start at sort of 16 and go down to 8. Um, I've got the privilege of sharing with you this evening on this, on this passage from Isaiah. Um, I want to say from the onset that I'm not a scholar, and uh, I'm certainly not a Bible student, and so what I'm going to share with you is very much what I've learned myself through my own journey, my own walking with the Lord, um, and I just hope that that will encourage each one of us. Um, Sarah gave me a... Uh, a little word before I came out this evening. She said, whatever you do, don't be too long. (laughs) I think I have a tendency to be long, so I'll I'll try and be good. 
Um, so the theme that we've got is touched by fire. That's um, part of our, our series that we're looking at Isaiah uh, with the, the overarching theme of reason for hope. Um, and this, this evening is about touched by fire. And as I was thinking about this theme, there were sort of four places in scripture that really um, I thought we could actually go to very easily. Um, obviously this one, this one passage we're going to look at today in Isaiah, but also Moses, um, when he encounters the Lord through the burning bush. Again, at Pentecost, when the fire of the Holy Spirit comes on the believers, and, and Clive touched on that um, a couple of evenings ago, sorry, a couple of weeks ago. And then again at Revelation, when John is on the island of Patmos and he sees the Lord. And um, for today, I'm going to just look mostly um, at Isaiah and then a little bit at Revelation very briefly towards the end. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I, I tend to have favourite books in the Bible. Um, I have books that I tend to enjoy reading, I find accessible. Um, I love going to the letters in the New Testament. Um, I love the Gospels. I love Genesis. Um, and there are other books that I don't go to so often. And Isaiah is definitely one of the books that I don't go to so often. Um, and I think it's partly because it's, it's a little bit strange, as Ross was saying. It's, it's a bit unusual. It's slightly outside of our everyday context, if we're honest. Um, what I've done over the last um, few weeks is I've actually been playing Isaiah in the car. I don't know if any of you have got um, the version Bible app on your phones. If you haven't, I really recommend it. And you can listen to an audio of any passage. And I've found that Isaiah as a book works really, really well in audio. It's much easier to follow the flow. You get a much better grasp of the overarching um, themes running through it. And as I've been listening through the book of Isaiah over the last um, couple of weeks, what I've noticed is just how incredibly relevant it is for today. This is a book that was written over 2,000 years ago, about 2,700 years ago. And it, he was speaking to the time that he was writing. He was also speaking forward to the time of Christ. And he's still speaking today. Isn't that amazing? There's not many books that can do that. Um, so we've just heard, Ross has just read through um, Isaiah 6 for us, which is our, our core text for today. Um, and this is very much thought of as the commissioning of Isaiah. This is very much like Isaiah having his calling from God to speak prophetically um, to the nation of Israel. Um, and this is where we're going to concentrate. And then, as I said, we're going to just briefly go towards um, Revelation right at the end. Just to give you a little bit of context, um, this is set at a time probably about 740 years before Christ was born. Um, and to give you an idea of what that would have meant in England, we were still in the sort of the end of the Bronze Age in the prehistoric times. So just to give a little bit of context, um, we're told that um, Uzziah was king and that it was the year he died. And that's why I think um, historians have been able to pinpoint the year fairly accurately. Uzziah was a king who started very well, but he became prosperous and he also became opulent and he actually moved the nation away from God. Um, in the end, he'd, when he died, he'd had leprosy for many years. Um, and we also have something else that, would, um, that comes in this passage, and it's the temple. Um, and this, at the time of Uzziah, we would be looking at probably Solomon's temple. Um, you can see um, on the picture um, behind me on the screens, this is just an artist's representation of what the temple might have looked like. And you can see there are the external um, areas for sacrifice and for washing, and then you go in to the inner, the inner part of the temple and then right in to the holy place um, where the Ark of the Covenant would have been kept. Again, this is all stuff which is quite outside of what our normal experience is. We don't have temples like this um, anymore. Um, but the, the holy place at the very centre of the, of the um, 
of the temple. So you'd have gone into the main entrance right at the far end behind a curtain was entered once a year for the, by the high priest to atone for the nation's sins. Um, and he would have gone in um, taking some blood with him and he, there would have been incense in there and he would have atoned for the sins of, of the nation. Um, and what I want to talk about as we, as we look at this passage and what really struck me is that Isaiah starts very much in the natural. He gives us this, at the very first verse, he says, in the year that King Isaiah died, that puts us in the natural context. And then straight away, he jumps to beyond the natural. He goes to, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one is calling to the other, holy, holy, is the Lord God of hosts. And Isaiah has stepped right to beyond the natural into reality. And it's a completely different reality to what we, we are used to. There is nothing natural about this vision, but it is absolutely real and absolutely otherworldly. Other and we have the Lord on his throne, and we have the seraphim calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There are so many things that are things that we wouldn't easily grasp. We have the seraphim, who've got six wings. We don't even really know what they would have looked like. And they are flying, and yet they're, in, the, in my version here, it says they were stood flying. It's a contradiction. They've got two wings covering their feet, two wings covering their face, two wings they're flying. It's a completely, it's something outside of our experience. And in this, we can just catch a real sense of wonder, of awe. This is another whole realm that we have yet to really taste and see. And yet, this is something that actually the Lord is opening up for us to see as well. We can experience and we can know the reality um, of, of this beyond the natural, which God invites us to be part of. Um, we often talk about wanting um, reality and wanting authenticity, um, and yet the reality is this vision, this is actually the real. When all that we have and all that we know on a daily basis slips away, what will remain is, is this sort of reality, something that is otherworldly. And so Isaiah looked, and he saw, and he saw the seraphim calling to one another, holy, holy, and he saw the smoke, the smoke filling the temple. Um, and in the, um, in the scriptures, often when you see the, the word for, um, for smoke, it's talking about worship, it's talking about prayer, and it would have often been from incense. And the train, the glory of the Lord, filled, filled the temple. And this is the interesting thing. What is Isaiah's response? He's seen the Lord, he's seen his magnificence, and yet his response is this, Woe to me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the Lord. When, I, when Isaiah sees the Lord, he isn't puffed up or full of himself. He's, he's aware of his own fragility, he's aware of his own weakness. And it's extraordinary, isn't it? Because this is a prophet. This is a man who is called to speak. And what is the very thing that he becomes aware of? The uncleanness of his speaking. How often is it that our very strengths are actually the very thing that God needs to touch and he needs to consecrate? And he realized that his prophetic speaking next to God's holiness was actually unclean. As I was reading through, through this uh, the passage and, and preparing for this evening, I kept asking myself, and, and, and me? Am I prepared to, to meet God? Am I prepared to encounter that holiness of God and allow him to identify my life 
what he needs to touch and what he needs to change. And I, I want to encourage each one of us to really ponder that, think about that, because it's at that place of encounter with God that our lives start to be radically changed. And Isaiah was aware of, of his sin, he was aware of his uncleanness, and he was aware that he couldn't do anything about it on his own. He wasn't trying to find a management system to deal with his sin, or a way of, of just sort of, I don't know, putting a program in place to cope with his uncleanness. He was just aware of his uncleanness and his need to be touched by God. So then we ask ourselves, well, did, did God leave Isaiah in this place of despair? And the answer is no, he didn't. He came and he purified him at his place of need. As we read in verse 6, then, the, then flew one of the seraphim to me, having in his hand a burning coal, which he had taken from the tongs, sorry, taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lip, lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is forgiven. And God came and he touched Isaiah at his very place of need and he changed him. He took away the sin. He, he, he atoned for and he paid the price. Um, and one of the things I'd like to um, also just mention, this is fire from the altar. And in the holy place, the altar in the holy place was an altar for incense. It wasn't like the altar for burnt offerings, which was outside the temple court, which was a huge roaring fire. This was, a temp this was an altar that would have had um, herbs and spices. I'm not even quite sure exactly how they did it, but they, it produced a fragrant smoke. And this, and this fire, this coal, was something that was very contained. It was very specific. And, and this was where the, holy, the priest went in once a year um, to atone, atone for sin. Um, I've got a couple of um, photos now I'd like to show you, which illustrates a controlled fire. Now, some of you will know that um, we spent many years um, serving the Lord in Mozambique, and one of the things we did was we, we trained young men to become blacksmiths. And you can see here the forge that we had at Torero, which the training centre we built. And you can see there's a piece of red-hot metal that has been heated in the fire. But you can also see that the two ends of the metal are relatively cold. Only a very specific part has been heated. And we'll, you'll see why now in the next slide, why that is. Because as it's put upright and hit carefully, it creates this cage shape. And the heating is incredibly specific. The temperature is absolutely accurate so that you get exactly the right result. And that's the fire that God wants to come. That's the burning ember, the coal that God wants to bring and touch each one in our lives. It's specific. It's not a roaring inferno that's going to burn us up. It's exactly what we need, where we need it, the right temperature and the right pressure. And God is the, the perfect blacksmith. He's far better blacksmith than any of the, the guys in Mozambique. You can be sure of that. Um, we're talking about going beyond the natural. But the wonderful thing is also that the natural speaks of what is beyond the natural, the spiritual. Um, and I'd like to show you now a short video, um, which is about three minutes long, so please bear with it but I hope you'll find it inspiring. I, I love it, um, but we'll see how you get on with it. So we'll watch it now. This fire in Yosemite National Park will consume 70 acres of forest as big as 68 football fields. And it was deliberately started by man. For most of the last century, naturally occurring fires in Yosemite, usually caused by lightning, were put out whenever they started. The result was an incredible buildup of 
I love that. I don't know if uh, have you all enjoyed it. I just think it's, um, it says so much. And, uh, and it's a great picture of what actually is a reality naturally, but is also a reality spiritually. And I think if we were to ask ourselves a question, are we scared of fire? I think all of us would say, yeah, we are. But perhaps the more pertinent question to ask is, do we trust the Lord with fire? And do we trust the Lord to touch our lives with his fire. And as we looked at that film, the, the giant redwoods, I'm always scared to say the real name, I think it's Sequoia, I'll probably always pronounce it wrong, but the giant redwoods, they're absolutely dependent on the fire for two things. One, to allow the seeds to germinate. If the fires are not there, the seed doesn't come out. And also it clears the competition. And when you think about God's refining fire in our lives, it actually does those two things. It allows that new seed of faith to germinate. It allows that newness to come, that new growth. But it also clears out the competition. All those other things that we allow to crowd in, those things that we, we, we hold on to and think are really important, the Lord suddenly just takes those away and says, do you know what? Let me deal with that. And it's gone. And we have to trust him. We have to trust him. And interesting, isn't it, that when, when um, the firefighters in Yosemite thought that by actually keeping the fires down they were protecting the redwoods, they actually ended up with no new growth. And how often do we shy away from actually allowing the Lord just to do what he needs to do do in our lives? So what happened next? Let's go back to our our passage. What happened next? So we're kind of coming to the end of the first section um, of of Isaiah 6. um, And we have this. So Isaiah's been touched and his guilt is taken away, and his sin is forgiven. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. And this is amazing. When you look at this, God isn't actually speaking to Isaiah. Isaiah overheard the Godhead talking. How amazing is that? God had brought Isaiah into a place of communion with him, so he was, if you, as if you like, sitting around the table, and God was talking, and Isaiah overheard, and he responded. And, uh, and I love this bit. Isaiah just says, here I am, send me. If we'd actually taken a bit of time and looked at Moses as well, Moses was different. He said, here I am, Lord, send Aaron. <laughs> but Isaiah said, here I am, send me. 
He was in communion with God. Amazing that he was invited to that place of incredible communion where he was actually just overhearing God's just natural speaking into his life. And so we come to this second part of the, of the passage. And, and in one sense, this seems to be a really hard, it's the harder bit, if you like, of, of, of this section. Um, and it and it's really divides two types of people because it's talking about those who hear and those who refuse to hear. Hear and hear, but do not understand. See and see, but do not perceive. And we have to ask ourselves, do we find this second part hard to understand? And then we have to remember that Isaiah was speaking into a time of decadence, into a time of opulence. That was his, that was his present. King Isaiah had drifted away. The nation was no longer with all their heart following the Lord. And they had drifted. Maybe that's true for us today as well. Maybe we can identify with that, that actually, do we respond? Do those around us respond when they hear the Lord's word? Do our families respond? And the interesting thing is that Jesus himself quotes this in Matthew 13. And he puts it even more plainly. He says, you hear but never understand. You see but never perceive. But then he continues and says, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears because they hear. That means we're blessed. If we are hearing of God and if we are seeing what he is doing in our lives, that means that we are blessed. And I think if we look at this passage, it's incredibly true of today. Society has come to a place where it's almost in a place of constant debate, but perhaps never really arrives at any sense of truth. We're caught in a world of constant comment about how much reality, reality has become reality TV. And we just need to come back to that place where we see things truly with spiritual eyes and we hear things honestly with spiritual ears. And that means we need the prophetic. Isaiah was a prophet and he spoke into the context of his present in the nation at that time. He spoke forward as well. And how much more today do we need the prophetic speaking into our natural world? But that isn't fortune-telling. It's not telling of the future, but it's bringing God's word now. And it's nearly always going to be against what is common culture. But our spirits just need to be quickened and not natural. But this is the critical bit, because if, the, if there is a prophetic voice into our communities, and if there's a prophetic voice into our churches, and it is just that, it will be strident, and it will be harsh, and it will be judgmental, and it will be unloving. And yet in, in verse 11, we see Isaiah's heart, and he says this, and then I said, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? And you can see in this that what is breaking God's heart is also breaking Isaiah's heart. He is broken because he sees the damage. He is broken because he sees the need and he longs to see God step into people's lives and touch them. He had a tough message to bring and that message broke him. And if we genuinely want to be a prophetic voice and a voice of transformation and change to our families, to our communities, it has to break us. We will be broken in that process. And if it isn't, we will be strident, which is, of course, we don't want to be. And why is it like that? I think the key is right in the very end. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains standing when it is felled. The holy seed is in its stump. And the reality is, for each one of us, we actually do have to come to that place where there is nothing left. 
We have to come to the end of our own brilliance, our own achievements, our own strength, and then accept that actually what Jesus has done is everything. And when we come to that place, there is that newness of life. And in the end of verse 13, Isaiah talks about the holy seed as in its stump. And that's referring to Jesus. He goes on in chapter 11, and he says, says this, There will come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now we know Jesse is David's father, and David was a king, and he was a direct ancestor of Jesus. The holy seed is in the stump. And as you can see from the photograph, even though there's a stump that's been cut right down, and it looks like it's died, again there's a new shoot coming up from that stump. In the stump, there remains life. Um, every year in Mozambique, um, it gets burnt. And it gets burnt for two reasons. Firstly, to clear the ground for planting. Um, and they cut, cut back um, with fire just to clear the, clear the area. But there's another reason as well, and they do it for hunting. And at that time when they burn the, burn the ground, they actually then have the opportunity to catch these cane rats. And the rats get driven out by the fire, and they get caught and they're really good bush meat. But the amazing thing about the burning is that it goes through the ground and it cuts, cuts back all the, the undergrowth and all the scrub and leaves just charred remains. But with, literally with the first rain, you get this new, new shoots coming again. And it's like that with the Lord as well. When, when, when we feel that everything's gone, as soon as there's that fresh dew drop, he just touches our lives and there's those new shoots again. And it's amazing how quickly the bush recovers. As I was preparing um, for this evening, one of the things that struck me about this chapter is that in reality, the entire gospel sits within this one chapter. As we go through it, we've got Isaiah, he encounters God, he recognises God's holiness, he recognises his own uncleanness, he allows his life to be touched by God's fire and come to that place of utter surrender. He is given his calling and he foresees the coming of Jesus. Absolutely amazing. In that one chapter, Isaiah has captured everything that we have in the Bible. Extraordinary. And so much of Isaiah is like that. And one of my challenges I had, I said to Ross earlier, was actually to try and not keep going, because you, there is so much you could just keep going, expanding out and, and expanding out. The more you dig, the more you see. But Isaiah's response to all of this was, here I am, send me. And finally, I just want to briefly look at Revelation. Um, if we turn to Revelation chapter 1, verses 12, that's page 1,232 on your pew Bibles. So I've got a slightly different translation here. And this is, is John. John is on the island of Patmos and he has a vision. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands one was a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden girdle around his breast and his head and his, head and his hair were white as white wool, white as snow. His eyes were like flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters, and in his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth issued a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the, the sun shining in full strength. 
When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. And just, just in comparison, this last bit in Revelation here, this is, this is looking forward now. And John sees, sees Jesus, and he sees his eyes as flame. He sees his feet refined as, a, refined as a furnace, and his face shone like the sun. I just think that's interesting, the comparison between that and the seraphim, who had their face covered and their feet covered. At the end of time, all will be revealed, and we will see we will see Christ in his brilliance and his pure, purity. Uncovered brilliance, uncovered purity. And this is a foretaste of what we will one day see. And he spoke to John, and his voice was as the beauty of many waters. And John fell as though, de- as though dead. Again, it's the same response we saw from Isaiah in the presence of, of the holiness of God. But Jesus reached out and he touched him. And he took away his fear. And he took away his death. And that's the same Jesus we come to tonight. He will touch our lives with that specific, perfectly shaped coal that we need individually, that will purify, that will refine, that brings worship and praise into our lives. And he takes away fear, and he takes away death. He knows what he's doing. He's not a Mozambican blacksmith. So in conclusion, how does this apply to our lives Our series is A Reason for Hope. And Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, if our hope is for this life only, we of all men are to be most pitied. And I want to encourage each one of us tonight that eternity doesn't start in the future. Eternity doesn't start at death. Eternity starts now, from the moment of salvation. That's when our lives have changed. That's when our lives are transformed. And we can just press on in that incredible relationship with Jesus. Like Isaiah, we can encounter Jesus. We can go beyond the natural. We can be touched by God's refining fire, allowing him to identify what he needs to identify in our lives and allowing Jesus to pay for it. Isn't that an amazing offer? Because he's already done it. It's finished. It is done. And as we hear and choose to understand and see and choose to believe, we will be touched, healed and cleansed, just as Isaiah was. We live in a time of such incredible privilege Don't miss the gift that God has for each and every one of us. Don't be caught up with the wrong I am, as Moses was. God had to explain to him, I am who I am. And we can get so focused on I am rather than I am God, who is I am who I am. By God's grace, I'm not who I was, and nor yet am I who I will be. And that can be true for each one of us. He wants to take us on a journey, and he wants to change, and he wants to renew us. But we have to surrender to him and allow his fire to touch us where it needs to be touched. And this is God's sovereign work. None are here this evening because we only trust in the natural. So don't stop in the natural, but press on beyond the natural so that we can become naturally spiritual and spiritually natural. Thank you. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to just thank you for your presence. I want to thank you that you are a good God and you love us. That you love us so much that you've given us everything. You've given us life. You've given yourself, Jesus, that we could know you. And I just pray, Heavenly Father, tonight that 
each one of us would just allow you to touch us at that place of need, that perfect specific touch, that refining fire that only you can bring, Lord. And in a moment you bring wonderful transformation. Lord, give us the courage to allow you to touch us at that place of need. In Jesus' name, amen.